Good morning. Saffron is the world's most expensive spice. Depending on the quality of it, it can range in cost from $1,000 to $5,000 a pound. Fortunately, it doesn't take a lot of saffron to flavor an entire dish. In the hands of a skilled cook, a tiny amount will go a long way. Uncertainty is a lot like saffron. It only takes a little bit of uncertainty to produce a great amount of fear. In fact, uncertainty is one of the key ingredients in fear. But unlike saffron, uncertainty is cheap and it's everywhere. Uncertainty comes in many forms. Where will the stock market be a year from now? What will happen at my job? What will happen to my family? What if this happens? What if that happens? You may have come here this morning with uncertainties weighing on you. Revelation 7 does not address all of these uncertainties. But it does address one specific set of uncertainties. What will happen if I follow Jesus wholeheartedly? What will happen if I step out and do risky things that Jesus is calling me to in the midst of a world that does not welcome him? What will happen to us as a congregation if we seek out fully to live the life Jesus has called us to live? In short, what will happen if we wed everything on Christ? This is Revelation 7's threefold answer. There will be conflict. You will be secure, but not safe. You need not fear. Did you know that we're living inside of Revelation 7? It's a common thought that Revelation predicts the future. But nowhere does Revelation claim to predict the future. It goes much further than that. It proclaims the future. But it also proclaims the present. To paraphrase Daryl Johnson, Revelation declares the unseen realities of the future, and it declares the unseen realities of the present. It declares the unseen realities of the future because that's down the road. We can't see those things yet. And it declares the unseen realities of the present because things are not only as they seem. There is more going on in this world than we can see with our eyes and comprehend with our senses. As we go through this passage, I will build a case along the way for how Revelation 7 is not just describing the future but our present condition today. It pulls back the curtain on the present and future reality of the world to reveal to us the way things really are. And Revelation does this to comfort us in the ancient sense of the word, to strengthen for courageous action. Comfort is derived from the Latin come with fort strength. To comfort is to give strength. 
the first recipients of this book were thinking, this isn't looking good. What's going to happen since we have given our lives to Christ? The first response Revelation 7 gives is that when we follow Jesus with our whole heart, there will be conflict. There will be a great ordeal, as verse 14 puts it. A tribulation. A flipsis is the Greek word. Flipsis means pressure. Crushing pressure. The most helpful analogy I know of is a geological one. As you know, the Earth's crust is made up of massive shifting plates with enormous amounts of mass and force behind them. And from time to time, they press up against each other with crushing pressure erupting in an earthquake. This is the flipsis, the great ordeal of crushing pressure that happens when God's kingdom breaks into the world and collides with kingdoms that are inconsistent with his. G.K. Beale says it this way. The tribulation consists of pressures to compromise faith. These pressures coming both from within the church community through seductive teaching and from without through overt oppression. Whatever its nature, tribulation always comes because of believers' faithful witness to Jesus. Daryl Johnson says that this flipsis began on Christmas Eve when Herod gets word that the king of the Jews is being born in Bethlehem. He has a generation of boys wiped out. He had all the boys in and around Bethlehem, two years old or younger, murdered. In his own words, Johnson says, The great tribulation began with the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It began with Pentecost, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who is the personal embodiment of the kingdom. The great tribulation has been on since Jesus came. It has been on throughout all church history. And it is on even now. That is why verse 14 is in the present tense. Our translation that's printed in the bulletin is misleading because it reads, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. It makes it sound like it's past tense. But the Greek is in the present tense, and the English Standard Version translates it this way. These are the ones who are coming out. Present tense. This is where we live when we do all that we can to bring God's kingdom. If you aren't convinced yet that this is speaking of the present, I have one more proof to offer you. Paul, the New Testament writer, uses this word flipsis 23 times in his writing. Of those 23 times, 21 times refer to a present reality. Revelation is not just revealing the future, it is declaring the present reality of the world. And at this point, you may be saying, comforting? This is supposed to be comforting? You're telling me that if I serve Jesus with my entire life, that I am bound to encounter resistance from kingdoms that are opposed to his. And this will result in crushing pressure like an earthquake in my life. And this is supposed to be comforting? 
Well, yes, kind of. <laughs> this is only half the picture. But it is helpful to know that when we are sold out to Jesus and seeking his kingdom, we will face pushback from forces that do not want his kingdom to come, be they human forces or spiritual forces. It is better to be aware of a reality than to be blindsided. It's better to be punched when your guard is up than to be hit when your guard is down. The other half that will complete this comforting, this strength-giving picture is the first half of Revelation 7. The first part of chapter 7 tells us that when Philipsis comes, we will be secure even if we are not safe. In verse 1, we see four angels holding back four winds that are ready to devastate the earth. To understand why this passage is comforting, we need to understand what those winds are. They're clearly forces of destruction that will come upon the earth. Many commentators believe that these four winds are synonymous with the four horsemen described in Revelation 7. Revelation 6, excuse me. And I agree with them. In Zechariah 6, a book that has many parallels to Revelation, there are four horses and four winds that are explicitly connected. They are one and the same. The important thing is to see that these winds are destructive and God is holding them back until he completes his census. He is waiting for a cosmic census to be complete. He orders that all of his servants be sealed, a seal placed on their foreheads, and then the winds can be released. You may have mixed feelings about the U.S. census. I didn't fill out my form until I got the third mailing. But this is not a census you want to miss out on. In fact, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot miss out on it. It will be impossible for you not to be counted and sealed. When the census has been completed, we see the results in verses 4 through 9. 144,000 people sealed out of every tribe of Israel. A symbolic, huge number representing all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, throughout all ages. All of them are sealed. There's three contexts that will help us understand what this seal is. It isn't the first time God has used such a seal to protect his people. In Ezekiel 9, God is going to bring judgment upon Jerusalem. But before he does so, he sends a messenger to place a mark on the foreheads of those who have been faithful to him. In the ancient world, a seal was placed on the foreheads of slaves to show who they belonged to and who they worked for. And in Paul's writings in the New Testament, we are shown most explicitly what this seal is. Paul uses this word three times, and every time it refers to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 reads, You are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is the seal that strengthens and protects our faith 
in the face of crushing pressure. It is the seal that allows us to come out of this great ordeal secure, even if we are not safe. After the sealing, John sees a crowd, a throng of worshipers around God's throne. And one of the elders tells John who these people are. He says in verse 14, These are they who are coming out of the great ordeal. They have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The seal allows them to come through this earthquake intact. But they are not exempt from the ordeal. They are given protection to stand. They are secure, but not safe. And when we are in the midst of tribulation, where we are in the midst of earthquakes caused by the collision of God's kingdom and, and earthly kingdoms, it can feel uncertain. There's a great scene from Casablanca, that classic movie with Humphrey Bogart, where he plays Rick, this, this American guy who runs a, a nightclub in Casablanca, Morocco. And there's a scene where a young husband comes into the club, and this husband is trying to get him and his wife to America to safety. It's set in World War II. But to get the papers he needs, he's being extorted by a government official. And he needs this money to bribe the official that he doesn't have. And Rick knows this. And so as this young husband comes into his club and to the back room where there's a casino, Rick walks up to him at the roulette table and says, Why don't you put your money on 18? And the husband barely has anything left. He's hesitating. And Rick says again, Put it on 18. So he puts the money down. The wheel spins, ball falls on 18. Keep it there, spins again. The guy hits the jackpot. He gets all the money that he needs to bribe the official, and he and his wife go to safety. Was that young husband gambling? It sure felt like it to him. It sure looked like it to everyone else around him. God fixes the roulette table for us. From the world's perspective, it looks like we're playing Russian roulette when we bet everything on Jesus. But God has emptied the revolver. God fixes the outcome. And yes, we will face earthquakes As we seek God's kingdom, we will face pushback and resistance from unexpected places. We will get scratched up, and some of our brothers and sisters around the world may even lose their lives in this flipsis. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been sealed. And you are secure, even if you are not always safe. And in verses 15 through 17, We are given the outcome of all this. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. 
For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherds, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So back to our question. What will happen? What will happen when Jonathan leaves? What will happen to me, to you, to us, if we bet everything on Jesus? God himself will be our shepherd. And he will guide us to the springs of life. He has sealed us, and we are secure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you'll pull back the curtain on reality so that we can make sense of our lives when earthquakes come. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, fortify us for courageous action, knowing that our destiny is secure and that you have sealed us. I pray that you would give us the courage to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray.